Um, in order to talk about the resurrection, though, I want to talk about a little bit of backgrounds on afterlife beliefs in the time of Jesus. And we're going to start off with Greco-Roman pagan beliefs. Um, the Greco-Romans, uh, the Roman Empire, um, they, for the most part, believed that they had this disembodied existence beyond, uh, beyond life. It was a belief largely in the immortality of the soul, that when you died, you know, your body went to the ground and decayed, and your soul went on. Um, in Greco-Roman beliefs, they, for the most part, believed that uh, your soul went off to Hades. Hades wasn't just the name of the god of the underworld, but Hades was the name of the, of the underworld itself. Now, here's the thing. If you were, like, really, really bad, really wicked person in life, most likely you would find yourself suffering for eternity in the pit of Tartarus. That was for the really, really wickedly bad individuals. Um, for those of you who were heroically good, and I use that word heroically intentionally because it's, it was usually reserved for, their, for the, the heroes, the Greek heroes, those who were super virtuous, well, you got to go off and enjoy the Elysian fields and the, and the pleasures therein in regards to that. For the most part, though, if you didn't fall into either category, which was uh, the large part of the people of that time, they lived in this sort of uh, in-between existence. And they're described in the literature of the time like shades, living the shadowy existence, just sort of wandering around the halls of Hades, and very depressing. They wind up kind of just blending into the background, and never to be heard from again. And there is literature at the time you can read, they talk about this and kind of bemoan this existence of how, how uh, these souls just go, and, and, and in some instances they kind of just disappear, and, and, and that's that for them. And it's interesting, too, because some of the literature talks about even how families bemoan this existence because once you're dead, there's no reuniting with your family kind of ever again in this belief system. Uh, it's interesting because I think this is what Paul is addressing in 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 13, when he talks about the idea of those who grieve without any hope, right? He's addressing people in this kind of belief system and still kind of uh, thinking about that way, and he talks about the second coming of Jesus and the resurrection and how that's very different from this belief. Okay, so we got that. Greco-Roman belief, immortality of soul, that's pretty much what they believed in. Let's talk about Jewish beliefs. Um, we're going to talk about primarily Sadducees and Pharisees because I think these guys are typify the typical belief systems of the time in, in the Jewish system. Uh, Sadducees uh, did not believe in the resurrection, okay? I need to say the silly joke. They were sad, you see. All right. Let's, let's just move on and forget I said that. All right. Um, the interesting thing about Sadducees is that they didn't do any writings. They themselves didn't produce any writings. So what we know about their beliefs actually largely comes from the New Testament and a few other... Uh, non-biblical writings. Uh, Mark chapter 12, uh, Mark records Jesus having an interaction with the Sadducees, and he says that they did not believe in the resurrection. And, and Acts chapter 23, we read an encounter with Paul, who is not only uh, encountering the Sadducees, but also the Pharisees, but, but uh, Luke tells us that the Sadducees also did not believe in the resurrection. He also tells us that he did not believe in the immortality of the soul either. Um, 
reason for this rejection? Well, part of it is some people think it was because of the fact that the Sadducees, that they held on to the Torah as their core aspect of their beliefs. It's not that they totally disregarded the other aspects of the Old Testament, but for them, it was the core aspects, the foundation of their beliefs, the Torah, right, the Pentateuch. Um, and so it doesn't seem to be explicitly mentioned in the Torah anything about the resurrection. So some people think maybe that's part of the reason why. Uh, there are others that think because when you look at some texts in the Old Testament and even in the intertestamental literature, and we'll do that in a little bit here, um, resurrection is actually equated with martyrdom, and revolution. And the Sadducees themselves, they were aristocracy. They were the rich. They oversaw the temple at the time. They didn't want their status quo to be shooken up in regards to all that. So this whole idea of any talk about revolution, right, in their time with the Roman Empire, that's just a no-no because that's going to that's gonna shift things for them. So this idea of the resurrection, no, 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 let's not, let's not talk about that stuff because that's associated with martyrdom and revolution and persecution and those kinds of things. Let's just maintain the status quo. I kind of think of maybe a parallel today is the idea of you have some extreme Islam types, right? The suicide bombers where the religious impetus for doing what they do is because of their beliefs in the afterlife and what they're going to receive, right? So some of the people at the time, the zealots especially too, um, who might believe in the resurrection saying, hey, let's, let's go and push forward and have this revolution because you know what? We're going to have the resurrection to come anyways. And we're going to, again, we'll see that in a little bit. All right. Um, then we have the Pharisees. I don't have some cheesy joke about them, so you guys get to be saved. Um, the Pharisees, they were fair, you see. I, uh, again, let's forget that. All right. Acts chapter 23, the same, the same passage that we talked about the Sadducees and Paul's interaction with them are also the Pharisees. And Paul's actually very clever because he starts this debate going on between the Pharisees and the Sadducees when he says, hey, I'm a Pharisee. He was talking about the resurrection, and he knew he'd had the Pharisees on their side. They, they believed in the resurrection. They also believed in the immortality of the soul. And part of the reason for their acceptance is because they accepted the full Tanakh. Uh, that word Tanakh is how Jews describe the Old Testament. The Torah the Nevim and the Ketuvim, okay? The Nevim were the prophetic writings and the Ketuvim were the um, wisdom writings. They accepted that, and we see that in other parts of the Old Testament that resurrection is spoken of. They also believed in the oral law. Incidentally, the Sadducees didn't. The Pharisees did, and the oral law was kind of like the law that protects the law. Um, and we see this in places like the Talmud, and the oral law does speak to the resurrection as well. The Pharisees believed kind of like in this two-tiered afterlife. You would die, and your, your soul would live on, and then eventually then your soul would be reunited with your body, and this, and this resurrection to come, this physical resurrection would, that would come later on down the road. Here's some examples from the Old Testament, teaching on the resurrection. Um, Isaiah 26. Your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. For your dew is a dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. And then the one that's probably a little bit more well-known is Daniel 12. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Now, the interesting thing about the Daniel text is actually in the context of this teaching on the resurrection, 
there is martyrdom spoken about. So this is probably one of those texts that the Sadducees uh, did not like. Then we also get the intertestamental literature. Now, intertestamental period was that period between the closing of the Old Testament and the coming of Christ. It was a 400 uh, period of time. A lot of literature is being written. Um, One of those is a collection of, of writings that come together in the Apocrypha. And the Apocrypha has this particular book in there called Second Maccabees. Actually, that follows... There you go, right? First Maccabees. And then there's also a third and a fourth Maccabees, by the way. Um, And so I want to read this to you. I want you to see the resurrection hint in here. Uh, It also happened that seven brothers with their mother were arrested and tortured with whips and scourges by the king to force them to eat pork in violation of God's law. One of the brothers, speaking for the others, said, What do you expect to learn by questioning us? We are ready to die rather than transgress the laws of our ancestors. At that, the king, in a fury, gave orders to have pans and cauldrons heated. Uh, By the way, sorry, I know some of you are going to have lunch next. This might not set your lunchtime off very well. Uh, These were quickly heated, and he gave the order to cut out the tongue of the one who had spoken for the others to scalp him and cut off his hands and feet while the rest of his brothers and his mother looked on. When he was completely maimed but still breathing, the king ordered them to carry him to the fire and fry him. As a cloud of smoke spread from the pan, the brothers and their mother encouraged one another to die nobly with these words. The Lord God is looking on and truly has compassion on us, as Moses declared in his song when he openly bore witness, saying, And God will have compassion on his servants. After the first brother had died in this manner, they brought the second to be made sport of. After tearing off the skin and hair of his head, gross, they asked him, Will you eat the pork rather than have your body tortured limb by limb? His answer is, never! So he in turn suffered the same tortures as the first. With his last breath, he said, You accursed fiend, you are depriving us of this present life, but the king of the universe will raise us up to life again forever because we are dying for his laws. Okay, let me give you the background here. Maccabees, the king is... Uh, Antiochus IV, he was also referred to as Antiochus Epiphanes, God Manifest. Um, He was a Greek king, and he believed that he was actually the manifestation of Zeus. Um, And so he is in charge here, and he is continuing on with the Hellenistic policy that was first started with Alexander the Great, but he is taken to even more extremes because he wants to eliminate Jewish uh, religion and teaching and what have you and forcing them to do things that were against their law, as you saw with the eating of pork. Now, um, what happened was this event became part of the impetus for the Maccabean Revolution, which you might have heard about, which was led by Judah Maccabeus, um, and that was a very successful revolution. Notice here about how this text is tied in not only to martyrdom, but also to revolution. Again, um, resurrection tied into revolution, another, another text that the Sadducees may not have cared for. Um, here's the thing. Very popular amongst the ancient world, this idea of the resurrection and this, and this Jewish belief on it. Uh, something, though, I really want to point out to you is when we're talking about Jewish understanding of resurrection belief, they... Oh, it disappeared on me. All right, well, I have my notes. Um, They did not believe that when you spoke about resurrection, for them it wasn't this idea that your spirit just rises, okay? For the most part, again, they believed in this two-tiered system, this immortality of the soul and this 
physical resurrection from the dead, but there have been later scholars who try to say, no, no, when they talked about resurrection, they really just meant that as a, a spiritual rising. Uh-uh, no. When they talked about resurrection, they talked about resurrection. And, and the literature is very, very clear on this. Uh, a British New Testament theologian by the name of N.T. Wright, he put it this way. He said, they believed in life after life after death. They believed in life after life after death. Death occurs, there's this immortality of the soul that keeps on going on, but then at one point in time, there's again this reuniting with the soul and the body to live this holistic, physical, resurrected life to believe. That is what they believed in regards to Jewish resurrection beliefs. All right, so, oh, there it is. Let's move on. All right, uh, John 11. Uh, let's read this together on what Jesus says about the resurrection. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. The context of the story is Lazarus, right? Uh, Lazarus had died. Now, here's the thing you have to understand, right? Martha, obviously, and Jesus both talk about the resurrection and belief in the resurrection. You can see how even Martha echoes what the Pharisees were talking about. Uh, and many other people obviously believed that at the time. What was so radical and different was that it was not talking about just this future resurrection, but rather that resurrection that was promised in Isaiah and in Daniel was to begin in Christ. That was rad radical. That was the mind-blowing in regards to the Jews. The Pharisees didn't understand that. This was big. This was huge, radical. Resurrection? Oh, yeah, yeah. Lord, I know that's going to happen. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and life. And then what does Jesus go on to do? He raises Lazarus from the dead. Ah, proving that he indeed is the resurrection and life. When he talks about being the resurrection and life, a lot of times Christians will read that and say, well, yeah, because days later he rises from the dead. True, but more importantly, being resurrection and life he actually demonstrates that power right then and right there with bringing Lazarus back, right? Bring Lazarus back. Now, Lazarus' resurrection isn't like Jesus' resurrection, right? Because Lazarus eventually dies again, and he is also now awaiting, like my family members and others who die in the Lord, that you might have that final resurrection to come, right? Jesus' resurrection is that resurrection that N.T. Wright said that life after life after death, right? that he rises again, never to die again, having that imperishable body, and what's going to go on there. Again, the fulfillment of Isaiah and Daniel is first found here in Jesus. That end times hope begins first and foremost with Christ. With Christ. I want you to understand that was mind-blowing to the people at the time, to see that that happened right then and right there. So we go back to our question, do we have eternal life now, or is it only something that comes to us when we die? I hope you see the answer. Jesus proclaimed that he was the resurrection and the life. 
Eternal life is wrapped up with the resurrection. And if resurrection life begins with Jesus and his resurrection, then those of us who are in Jesus have that eternal life now. But not yet in its fullness. The resurrection of Jesus is world-altering. It's history-altering, right? Not just world history, but also our histories. Not just a past event, but an event that has impact today and in the future. Next week, Dr. Middendorf will talk about that resurrection life in the present and what that means for you and I to have that resurrection life now. And then in two weeks, Dr. Brett Taylor will be talking about that resurrection yet to come and what that looks like. So I hope that you'll come back and join us as we continue on with our series. Join me in a closing prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the resurrection. We thank you that in Jesus, death is not just conquered, but the course is reversed. In Jesus, the end has begun. As we live in the historical tension between the resurrection of Jesus and our final bodily resurrections to come, give to us the needed faith to hold fast to that hope and promise of the empty tomb. That as Christ's tomb was empty, so will ours be as well. In Jesus' name we pray and we say together, amen.